Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of The Freelancer Show. This week on our panel, we have Brooks Forsyth. Hey, everyone. Brad Large. Hey, how's it going? I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv, and this week we have a special guest. That's Petra Manos. Hey, how are you going? Did I say your name right, or is should yes. I? Yes. Manos. You, know, the <laughs> you, American... can say it. you can say it however you like. <laughs> well, how do you say it? I say Petra Manos. There you go. See, I was, I was close. When I'm building a new product, G2i is the company that I call to help me find a developer who can build it. G2i is a hiring platform run by engineers that matches you with React, React Native, GraphQL, and mobile developers that you can trust. Whether you are a new company building your first product or an established company that wants additional engineering help, G2i has the talent you need to accomplish your goals. Go to g2i.co to learn more about what G2i has to offer. In my experience, G2i has linked me up with experienced engineers that can fit my budget and the G2i staff are friendly and easy to work with. They know how product development works and can help you find the perfect engineer for your stack. Go to g2i.co to learn more about G2i. All right, uh, do you want to introduce yourself? Let us know who you are and why you're important and all that stuff. <laughs> well, my name's Petra, as we've said. Um, so I specialize in Google. I was previously a developer for around 10 years in the defense cybersecurity space. And uh, so I actually started out in Google Tag Manager programming. Now I'm doing Google Ads as well, but uh, really my uh, freelancer experience has been in the analytics and programming space. And now kind of my, um, bringing out the marketing side as well, but I'm really a technical person. Nice. I was going to say programmer. I, I don't know if that's like a certain type of brain damage that we all understand. <laughs> Oh my gosh. But yeah. Uh, so anyway, we're talking about VAs today. And I'm curious, um, Petra, your experience is as a VA or in hiring VAs? Hiring VAs. Yeah. Right. So after about a year or so of working freelance, I realized that there were way too many tasks to do and not enough hours in the day. And I found that quite difficult to deal with. So I happened to meet a person who specialized in hiring out VAs and that was my first experience with VAs. So I brought a VA on board and um, I'd like to say I haven't looked back since then, but there's been some pros and cons with VAs, which I, I think we'll talk about today. Yeah, I can relate to that. Just to give a little bit of context with my experience. So we start when we started uh, recording shows like Ruby Rogues, I hired a VA to help with show notes and podcast editing. And that person didn't work out it, after like two months of just fighting with trying to get them to do things the way I wanted them to do it. I just fired them, wound up hiring another person who was actually my VA and podcast editor and stuff for man, like five years or something, six years maybe. And then um, things kind of fell apart there. Uh, wasn't very friendly uh, departure. We'll just put it that way. And uh, since then, um, I've hired two other people to be kind of my uh, VA executive assistant, you know, manage the production, all that stuff. And uh, one of them didn't work out, but it was more of a personality thing. And that was friendly. It was just like, look, this is not a good fit. And then uh, lately, the last person that I've hired um, she's actually helped me hire a team of people to run the podcasts. 
and basically acts as a project manager and a, like a virtual assistant, personal assistant. So yeah, that, that's kind of my experience with it. So sounds like you've been building up over time and you've got the right recipe now. More or less. I mean, it's always a challenge, right? And some jobs are easier to hire for than others. So yeah. So in my case, because I was specializing in analytics, mm -hmm. I couldn't find a VA who specialized in analytics. Not really. So I started out with a, a, a an administrative VA. And at the time I didn't know that there really were different options. So the agency who, who I met at the, um, it was a BNI group. He, he had a, a VA agency. He, he specialized in real estate agency, administrative VA. So I ended up with one of those and they didn't know anything about marketing or analytics or digital, anything really. And so I had to train them completely from scratch. Uh, so what I found was uh, we had to write procedures for every little thing down to the tiniest little detail. And it was, it was quite interesting because now we have this huge repository of procedures in the business that if it hadn't been for the fact that I'd hired someone that was so low level, we wouldn't have had any of those procedures at all. And it, it ended up working out in our favor over time because those procedures we've built on, we've got really good onboarding processes. And then when it comes to the analytics, we've got an absolute bulletproof Google Analytics set up that it doesn't matter what level of analytics knowledge someone has, they can follow this procedure because it is so detailed. So that has actually worked out in our favor. But I must say the, the idea behind hiring a VA is that you would have cost savings and there is not cost savings when you're spending all of your time writing procedures for them and when you're training someone from scratch. Uh, it may be that on an hourly rate basis, that person is a lot less expensive than hiring a local person and that's true. But when you're spending your own time mentoring and building procedures for someone, it doesn't quite work out like that in terms of cost savings. And not at the beginning anyway, but once you've got things uh, that are scalable, so you've got your procedures all worked out and you've got someone who can follow them well, then that's when the cost savings start. So for me, that took quite a while. Have you read The Mythical Man Month? Do you know that's on, my, that's on my reading list. That's been one of those books that I've been wanting to read for years and years and I've never actually read it. So it's just, just to give context to uh, people who um, aren't as familiar with it. So it's a book. It was written by Fred Brooks and it talks about, it basically debunks the idea that, you know, there are man hours or man months in his case um, when it comes to development work. And he's talking very specifically about software development. So what, what he says though, is that there's this idea then that if all developer man months are equal, then you should be able to add more people to the project and it'll get done faster. But what actually happens is when you bring people into the project, the project actually slows down. And the reason is, is because you have to bring that person up to speed before they can actually be contributing. So it'll slow down for a month or two or three. And then 
And then they'll start to actually be contributing to the point where you're going to make up the time, right? And it sounds like you, what you're talking about is the same idea, right? So you hire a VA, you bring them on, you teach them how to do stuff. It's going to take you a few months. And then, and then you're in a position where, okay, now it's saving me time. Now it's saving me effort. Now it's saving, right? That's right. Yeah. And there's a couple of thoughts there actually with regards to saving the time. So first of all, you want to make sure that the VA that you bring on is actually going to be skilled enough in the long term. So it doesn't really save you a lot of time if you bring on the wrong person in a hurry and then go through change of VAs every month or two. That really doesn't work out. So my initial VAs were purely administrative and they didn't understand the wider digital uh, picture. Whereas what I found was that uh, over time, as I um, had more experience with hiring VAs, I looked for a a higher dollar per hour VA who had extensive experience with Google uh, tools. So they had experience with Google Ads. They had experience with Google Analytics. And therefore, I wasn't teaching everything from scratch to a person that I wasn't sure whether over the long term they were going to understand it or not. It wasn't until I started doing that that I actually really started getting those cost savings. Um, And there was another point that you made on there as well about adding multiple people. And what I found is uh, when, when you're hiring VAs, there's a couple of different options that you can choose. So you can go for a full-time or permanent part-time type model where you have someone that's just working with you all the time. Or the other option that you can choose is you can go to somewhere like Upwork and you can find someone who has lots of experience in the field that you're interested in, but they will typically come on a project basis or they may come um, as a permanent part-time casual type uh, freelancer. But what you find is that they are in control of their own work hours. So you don't have the ability to say, um, hey, it's nine o'clock in the morning. That's the time that I expect you to be here. And you can't expect them to necessarily work 20 hours a week or 30 hours a week or however many you need. So what I found actually is while I was able to find more experienced people by going through Upwork and bringing on someone who had um, the, the requisite experience, they would often only be willing or able to spend five to 10 hours with me, which meant that I needed to hire more of them as my project scaled. And then we ended up in this situation like the Mythical Man Month, where all of a sudden the communication burden became so high because now I had three or four people working with me on Google Ads accounts and I needed to shuffle tasks between them all. That, that became really inefficient. So I ended up having to go back to a model where I had one person full-time instead of multiple people part-time. That makes sense. I'm curious what Brad and Brooks think about this model and if they have questions. Yeah, I guess... Uh... When I think of a virtual assistant, the, the way you're using them is different than what I thought. It, it was more to do stuff that wasn't the main uh, money-making or, or main focus of your business. But it sounds like you're teaching them how, how to run what you do. Is that right? Yeah, I'm teaching them how to do the delivery. So yeah. I'm account managing the clients. I don't let my VAs 
Well, actually, no, that's, that's, yes, I do account manager clients, but I've taught them how to onboard. So while I don't let the VAs have day-to-day communications with the clients, when they're onboarding, there is an onboarding process that they followed that has them reach out to clients. But I do all the day-to-day uh, customer service and like higher level, certainly all the meetings. And then I create tasks that my uh, VA team deliver on. Okay. Yep. So I've got, I've got a huge procedure library that teaches uh, anyone on my team how to do the various tasks. And so there are some tasks that are easier than others. So when it comes, for example, on the uh, analytics side of things, some, there are tasks, certainly planning the analytics is something that only I do on my team. Um, but then when it comes to, say, duplicating a report, uh, I'll have template reports and then I'll say, we're going to have this type of report. And then I've got quite a detailed um, procedure library in terms of how to duplicate that report for this client, which settings to change, what to look out for, how to tell if there's an error how to tell if, um, you know, how to change all the colors and, and make it branding, make the branding right for that client, how to, uh, you know, what kind of thresholds we should be expecting so that they know what to look out for. And they're able to run through that whole process, which saves me many, many hours. Um, what I found, certainly the, even, I even have been outsourcing the programming. So what I found was when it came to the programming, outsourcing that was not as high quality as when I did the programming. So for the Google Tag Manager programming, I I use a developer from Ukraine who is actually very good. But then because I want to be absolutely sure that what he's doing is working, I also, my uh, analytics assistant, I've trained him in how to QA the developers work. So now instead of, I guess I've replaced myself with one developer plus one tester. Mm -hmm. And what I found is that allows me to scale significantly because the analytics uh, programming and and testing tasks can be very time consuming. And that lets me spend more time working with clients or um, developing my own marketing. Yeah. I think that's really, yeah, I think that's really interesting. I mean, the only experience I have with outsourcing or VA or any of that is just going on Fiverr and having some people do some tasks that, you know, I, it would take me a considerable amount of time to do. And I was okay with the results being good enough. Um, but you know, as, uh, like the freelancer, um, aspect of what I do is most of what I'm doing is at this point is coaching and things like that. So as I, as I listen to what you're saying, you know, it makes a lot of sense that you would want to invest in, uh, you know, a virtual assistant when you're at a point where you have a lot of, uh, or you either have a lot of processes in place or that you want to formalize those processes and kind of develop them as an asset for your business. I, I'm hearing a lot of what you're saying is, you know, this, this formalization of these processes has really been a big asset as you've grown your business over time. It's really helped you scale things out and, you know, free up a lot of time to do the business development and account management aspects while making sure that there's a a good quality control process in place to ensure that you're still delivering high quality to your clients. 
That's exactly right. Um, so from yeah. my perspective, quality is really important. I, I would feel terribly embarrassed having my name to something if the quality wasn't there, which is why I have invested so much time in the processes. And so from my perspective, I, I wouldn't feel comfortable having someone deliver the work if I didn't know that the output was going to be at the quality that, that I desired. But certainly that has had its complexities, as I said, because I, I did have to therefore bring on a tester as well as the developer. But the, the benefit to me in doing so is so, some types of work actually, actually I've, I've heard about this talked about before on the freelancer show, that programming, for example, is a fairly low margin activity in terms of profit, but uh, in terms of revenue, it can be fairly high because there's a lot of hours involved. And certainly when it comes to things like uh, the Google ads, which once I started in the analytics, Google tag manager, I developed clients who said, well, can you do our ads? And I said, well, I, I guess so. <laughs> I didn't have any experience with Google ads at the time. Uh, and, but that turned out to be a, a good profit center because um, you've got recurring work that's occurring every month and there's all these tasks that need to be done. But I didn't want to be spending my time doing those tasks because my interest was more in the R&D, um, you know, with the analytics and the Google Tag Manager. And also I didn't have any expertise in Google Ads. Not that uh, that really made a, a, a big difference because my analytics training actually helped me to be great at Google ads. But what I ended up doing was hiring people who were already good at Google ads. So what I did at that point was I, I went to Upwork at that point. I didn't feel comfortable training someone from scratch. I brought on people that had a minimum of seven years experience with Google ads. And then uh, what I did was I, help, I asked them to help me write the process library for that side of the business rather than everything coming from me. So, uh, so when it came to the analytics, everything had been a brain dump out of my head. And now when it came to the Google ads, I was literally recruiting people to help us work out what the best practices were. And that has been an amazing asset because now I have a best practice library in several different uh, areas. Yeah. We've done very similar things with, the devchat.tv podcast production pipeline, right? Where I brought people in. I, I actually knew how to do the stuff and I showed them how to do the stuff. And then I'm having them write the procedures for it. And that it, it allows me to troubleshoot it. You know, so I'll go read through it and I'll go, hey, you forgot this or make sure that this is clear. So it's done this way. And, and that really, really helps. And the other thing is, is that I don't have to spend the time to sit down and do more than record a video showing them how to do it. And then the rest of it gets written out the way that it needs to be. That's exactly how I did my initial procedures. I, uh, I recorded lots and lots of videos and they were very detailed. So the person would spend quite a bit of time going through each one. But then that's how we ended up with such good procedures because they would literally see me do each step. And I used some software called Sweet Process. Sweet process is quite nice. It lets you write uh, basically checklist style procedures. There's different settings that you can include in there in terms of whether someone has to follow in the specified order or whether they can do it in their own order. 
it does include some level of flow in if there's a decision tree uh, and it lets you insert video images uh, type as much text as you want etc around things so uh, I asked my basically I recorded videos and then the the initial administrative VA ended up being helpful in this regard because a lot of those initial ones we just needed to get it down. It wasn't necessarily high-level techniques at this stage. It was just our initial procedure library. And so they spent a lot of time taking screenshots of the video and putting them into all of our procedure libraries. So we've got things step-by-step step with screenshots. Now, uh, that can be a little bit cumbersome in itself when, as always happens, things change. So the UI can change, but luckily most people are smart enough to be able to work out that if the UI has changed, that there's a new way of doing it. So the old screenshots aren't necessarily causing someone to just sit there and freeze. They are, um, and I'm trying to train people to, if they see a mistake in the procedure because something has changed, to go and actually update it. But I must admit that um, when I've been working with a remote team, they're not always proactively working on the procedures in the same way that I would. So as much as I would like that to be a case, there's probably more training that's required in that area where I emphasize that that's something that I'd really like. Yeah, I use a system called Trainual, which is kind of the same idea. And uh, yeah, you just organize all your processes under that. And I tend to actually break it down so it's like, Here's how you log into LinkedIn and find a person or here's how you do a tweet for a podcast, right? And then I don't have to, you know, if there are two processes that use that kind of same procedure within it, then I'll, I'll write that out. And uh, yeah, there's usually a video there. And yeah, our standing orders are basically, um, if there's a discrepancy between the video and the written instructions, the written instructions are usually up to date. That's the tricky thing about using video. So I don't usually upload my videos to the procedures because they go out of date a lot faster. It's much easier to edit a step in text than it is to go and edit a video. And that would be terribly time consuming. So I have read, um, there's a book called Clockwork by Mike Michalowicz. And he was talking about, okay, you, you, create the video and then when something changes or needs to be updated, you get your VA to record a new video. Um, what I found is I'm not doing that particular process just because my team are all busy on billable tasks and well, at least I, I, I like them to be busy on billable tasks. So I need to be obviously making sure that my own business development is up to scratch for, for our team to all have billable tasks. But um, if we're spending too much time on administrative type work, then, you know, that, that makes my margins smaller. And as a freelancer, it's, it's always tough anyway to, to have that consistency of income. And then if I'm eroding my margins by putting too much emphasis on too many administrative tasks, then the costs can quickly mount up. And that can, create, that can create stress in other parts of the business because then all of a sudden you've got lots of costs, so you've got to go out and find more business. And then all of a sudden you're wondering, what happened to my freelance business? Now, now I'm just running around trying to find business all the time. So you, you need to have a bit of a balance between them where, yes, you want to have the quality, but then on the other hand, you need to make sure that it doesn't become so cumbersome that you can't afford to keep doing it. Yeah, that makes sense. 
The, the other thing, though, that is happening with us is that we're starting to get to the point where we're using these procedures for podcasts that are not completely owned by devchat.tv. And so, yeah, the, those processes have to be set up so that everybody can do the job consistently. And so, yeah, I mean, we're, we're talking about striking the balance between spending time working on the procedures and spending time working on the actual work. Yeah, that's right. So what I've found is when you're first setting up that procedure library for your VAs to follow, you're spending a lot more time on the procedures than doing the work. And uh, I, I actually think the way that I went about it was good in that my initial VAs were low cost per hour because the the actual time it took to get all that set up, my first year of using a VA, I did not earn any more profit than when than my first year of business, even though my revenues um, more than doubled in that year, my costs were so much higher that I didn't earn any more profit. Um, in the in the third year of my business, my my top line doubled again because now I've got the assistance from the team. And this time, finally, some of that's able to come in as net profit because we're no longer creating all of those from scratch. But I would say that uh, initially when first going down the route of bringing on VAs, it is a, I would say it's a good idea to try to find someone who's cost effective, who can just help to get those procedures written because that's a very time consuming part of the, the whole setup. Um, it's one thing to create them all in your head, but writing them all down can take a really long time. Yeah. Um, what I found for cost-effective people, Upwork, you've mentioned them a few times. Um, another one that I like um, is uh, onlinejobs.ph and the mm-hmm. .ph is Philippines. Um, they, uh, the, the folks that I found off of there have been pretty solid as well um, in the past. So uh, definitely check that out. I'm going to put a referral link in the show notes for that. And uh, yeah, you, what you do is you sign up as an employer and then you list jobs kind of like you do in Upwork and you get people on board. And so, yeah, if you're looking for kind of the offshore, less expensive option, they're a really good way to go. But Upwork also has a lot of people that are offshore and won't cost you as much. This episode is sponsored by Sentry.io. Recently, I came across a great tool for tracking and monitoring problems in my apps. Then I asked them if they wanted to sponsor the show and allow me to share my experience with you. Sentry provides a terrific interface for keeping track of what's going on with my app. It also tracks releases so I can tell if what I deployed makes things better or worse. They give full stack traces and as much information as possible about the situation when the error occurred to help you track down the errors. Plus, one thing I love, you can customize the context provided by Sentry. So, if you're looking for specific information about the request, you can provide it. It automatically scrubs passwords and secure information, and you can customize the scrubbing as well. Finally, it has a user feedback system built in that you can use to get information from your users. Oh, and I also love that they support open source to the point where they actually open source Sentry if you want to self-host it. Use the code devchat at sentry.io to get two months free on Sentry's small plan. That's code devchat at sentry.io. What I'm doing at the moment is I'm using an agency. I went back to that model because what I found was when I was hiring people from Upwork, they wouldn't be able to commit to the hours that I wanted, um, which would enable me to be responsive to my clients. Mm -hmm. So I ran into a situation where I was having four different Google Ads managers. And um, because I have a large client that has 20 accounts under the one 
client, I couldn't really split the tasks easily between people. So uh, what I ended up doing was moving away from Upwork unless there's something that's a project or very unusual task. And then for my regular tasks, I'm using an agency. So um, the, the types of agencies I've been using, there's I'm using one called um, uh, Outsourced PH at the moment and I've also used one called Microsourcing and those are based in the Philippines as well. But I have found uh, that there's differences in culture between different, um, different countries where you can get VAs from. So obviously the Philippines is very common for VAs. There's also India is very common for VAs. But then I've, um, when it comes to technical VAs, Ukraine and Russia have a lot of good quality technical uh, VAs and um, other places in, in the kind of Eastern European bloc. So um, I've, I've worked with a VA from Latvia, for example, and they've got great internet connection. They've been well-educated. They, they often have a good pro, um, background in, um, in, in programming type activities. So what I found is my, when, I, when I have someone help me with um, Google Tag Manager programming, I've got a VA who's in Ukraine. But when it comes to my regular day-to-day VAs, I'm using an agency in the Philippines. It's something that I've been, yeah, it, it's interesting to hear like the different ways that you can use VAs because like my mind is just kind of expanding into this um, because I've kind of looked at it, like I said, like the, the one-off project type things that I thought, okay, this is going to take me a lot of time and I can probably, you know, it's not going to take somebody else as much time or, you know, be way cheaper for me to just hire it out. But looking at this, you know, one thing that keeps popping into my head is that, you know, building those processes up, if you take even a little bit of time when you're doing, uh, you know, business processes to document those and, you know, think through that from a process standpoint, then that's eventually going to let you leverage, you know, VAs to kind of scale your business in a big way. I mean, in time is the, the one thing that you're, I find difficult to, to find, um, you know, leverage. It's difficult for me to find ways to leverage my time. And um, especially looking at VAs and cost benefit analysis and things like that. I mean, since I've uh, haven't been doing this for very long, it's, it's interesting to me to see, you know, the different things that I can do now to kind of scale into more leverage in the future. And also, uh, you know, be really critical of my processes and break them down step by step and see which pieces of those I could offload. Yeah, that sounds really good. Um, What I found, we're talking about time. I have two young kids. So uh, last year was the first year of school for my eldest. And then I've got a a three-year-old who's in childcare. And when I first started my business, she was only four months old. So she was actually at home. She wasn't in childcare all the time. She was at home several days. And um, because I'm picking up kids from school and doing all these different things, um, what I find is that my time feels like it's split into too many different compartments. (laughs) And if if I set things up so that only I can do the delivery, then the trouble there is I... 
I feel concerned about deadlines and I also feel concerned about having concurrent projects. And one thing that I found with, um, now this might not be the same for every person out there who's listening to this show, because in my case, I found that Google Tag Manager development projects and analytics projects, they tend to be short projects. So we're talking about um, like $1,000 to $10,000 range. We're not talking about $50,000 projects. So as such, for me to be um, bringing in enough revenue, I need to be out looking for new projects all the time. And similarly with, um, with the Google Ads, um, certainly in our local market, the the, the market for Google ads, we're talking about, you know, a, a few hundred per month to manage someone's Google ads account. We're not talking about multiple thousands per month, um, you know, for a, a general business. So as such, if I'm going to be having concurrent clients and my time split up, I don't want to be in a situation where I literally can't deliver the work. So having a team behind me takes a lot of that pressure off because if I do have a lot of things that I need to get done, at least I know that the tasks are still being accomplished. Um, but what I have found though is because the quality is so important to me, I've had to invest in a really robust project management system. And because I come from a development background, I leveraged my expertise with using uh, agile methodologies, Scrum, etc., And I ended up coming up with a um, a sprint-based project planning um, um, methodology that my, basically everyone on my team is all within the same methodology. And they've said, actually, it's incredibly organized because the, the last thing that I want to do is have things not be delivered. So the way that I've set it up, I'm using a tool called monday.com and I have a sprint board and every Monday I go through all the tasks that were on the sprint from the previous week and I make sure that they have definitely been done to my standard. I read all the comments that the um, different team members have written on there and, um, and I, I will go through and check their work, especially if I know that a task was quite complicated. Um, then what I will do is I will... Um, I, I move all the completed tasks off to boards that I share with my clients. So every, I have an email automation that um, lets the clients know that there's a status update and they can see their own board on monday.com and they can see all the tasks that we've completed. And then I plan what all the new tasks are for the week. Now, a lot of those tasks will come out of my email inbox because I've got clients that are emailing me saying, can you do this? Can you do that? I've got support requests. I've got um, new projects coming on board. So we've got onboarding tasks. We've got offboarding tasks, a whole range of different things. And all of those different things, I don't like anything to fall through the cracks. So there's also all our marketing tasks and everything. They all go on the sprint and I, I try to break them down into one week blocks wherever possible. So tasks that could be accomplished within a week. I write them all down and I assign a person to them and that person is responsible for getting that task done by the end of the week. So during the week, I, I do periodically check on that board to make sure that people are actually working on the task, that they haven't got questions for me. We've got uh, a status so they can mark it as done, they can mark it as working on or they can mark it as stuck. And if they're stuck, I see it comes up in red. So then when I look at the board, I can see, oh, someone's stuck and I can um, review what they had to say and I can send them a message on Slack to let them know how to resolve that problem. 
Awesome. Yeah, I could um I could see how using the sprint methodology would definitely be helpful in that in that situation. Help you uh keep track of what everyone's doing. Yeah, it's working really well because we would typically have um fifty to seventy tasks on our sprint board in any given week. And uh even though a lot of them are assigned to me, it's it's usually mine that don't get completed by the end of the week. Um but, so a lot of them will be assigned to me, the higher level ones, but then what I try to do is when I write down all the tasks, I I look at them and I say, which ones can only I do and which ones could someone do with a bit of training or can they do already? And so if we have um, some tasks that we already have procedures for, uh, it, I know that they can do them, then um, even if they're a new team member, I will give them that task and I'll, I'll give them the procedure and I'll say, hey, hey give this a go and I'll, I'll look over your work uh, when, when you're finished. Or if it's someone that's been doing it before, um, they already know where to find the procedure. So they're able to just do it. Um, there, there are plenty of tasks in there that are a little bit of a stretch and I'm, uh, sometimes I'm not sure whether to assign it to a person or not. But I've tried to err on the side of let's assign it to a person and see what happens. So often what will happen is I'll assign it to a person. They won't quite understand what I've asked for. It can be a little bit wasteful in terms of time because they're trying to solve the problem, which is good. So they might tend take a lot more time than it would have taken me to do it. Um, but what happens is if they then turn around and say, well, I managed to get this far, but I didn't solve this, then we're, we've got immediately some, uh, some information that we know we need to update the procedures in that area or we need to do some training. So, so my thought is I try to delegate as much as I can. And then what it means there is a lot of my time, instead of my time being spent on doing the delivery, a lot of my time is spent on the project management and trying to make sure that we, um, you know, I, I train my team and that we have standard procedures. So I know we've talked about the procedures a lot before. We won't go into that again, but it's really changed the dynamic of how my t time is being spent. Um, it, it takes me all of Monday to, to do that sprint planning. So that's really a whole day that's lost from my schedule. And if I was delivering the work, I could probably get a fair chunk of it done during that time. Um, but then during the week, the, the fact that I've got so many different tasks being worked on by other people means that we can work on these things concurrently. How, how large is your VA team? Well, I've, because I've experimented with different um, project-based people and then full-time people, it's varied a lot. So there was a time when I had four Google ads team members, but the reason I needed four was sometimes they would only work for five hours in a week. And if I had 20, 30 hours worth of deliverables that week, then uh, I would find that stressful trying to chase everyone up. So at the moment, it's not a very large team because I end up replacing those four Google Ads people with one full-time Google Ads person. Um, yeah, and, and what I found actually is now that I've got a full-time person, um, there's more time where she's kind of on the bench in a way because I don't necessarily have um, you know, 40 hours a week of actual billable hours. Um, again, I'm only one person. I'm trying to do all the you know, business development as well. So, um, so 
so there's a, a pro and con, but certainly when I was having multiple people that had come from Upwork, I had four Google Ads people. I had one Google Tag Manager developer. I had one uh, analytics assistant. I had one uh, social media assistant. And then I had one administrative assistant. Um, I've now scaled that down where I've got one administrative assistant, one Google Ads specialist, uh, and then I've got the Google Tag Manager and the um, Analytics Assistant. They they work with me um, like kind of casual hours based on when we have work. So they they flex their freelancers themselves. And so if we have a lot of work on, then they'll work more hours. And if we don't have a lot of work on, then they just won't work that week. That makes sense. But yeah, certainly I found that I needed to bring the Google Ads into the team because once I started delivering that service, we had ongoing client uh, work where basically we're doing the same things over and over in terms of the optimization. It's very time consuming and I needed to have someone who was understanding the clients and who was um, like familiar with those accounts and that could just keep working on the same ones all the time. So something that we, something that we haven't covered too much is the, um, the social aspect of having VAs on board. So Working in an office, you've obviously got people that are nearby all the time. You can just talk to someone over their shoulder. Although when we're freelance, we don't tend to be in an office anyway. But I know that some of us will work from, say, a um, like a business hub every now and then so that there are people around. Different yeah. people need different levels of social socialization. Um, when you have a VA, you can meet via Zoom, but you do find that, the most part you tend to send each other messages on Slack. Um, certainly I'll try to have Zoom meetings regularly, but it doesn't always happen. We, we send a lot of messages. So it can be a little bit lonely. Uh, the other thing as well is that when you have someone that works from home, they're also trying to balance their own social needs. So sometimes you'll find that if they work from home rather than from an agency office, that, um, you might. So I had a situation where I was onboarding one of our city's largest hotels and I was really proud of myself that I'd brought on this client. And um, I asked my administrative VA to onboard them and it took her three days instead of one day. And it was because her mother-in-law had come over and um, she, she needed to look after her mother-in-law as a higher priority to onboarding this major client that I had. Oh, so wow. when you have someone that works from home, your business needs are not necessarily as important to them as their home needs. Uh, so, so that can definitely occur. And so you're, it's, it's this big mismatch of um, this is, you almost become this egocentric person in the middle of it all saying, this is my business. You are all here to, feed work into me but it's in reality it's not like that because every person is having their own lifestyle and some of them will be having their freelance business as a lifestyle business some of them care about working as many hours or as quickly as they can and everyone has different opinions in terms of what's important to them and what isn't um, also I, I found that when you have people that are working from home uh, especially if they are located somewhere that has um, natural disasters, you can suddenly find that they don't turn up for days at a time and you can't contact them. Uh, and it may be that their internet's dropped out or they've just had a tsunami or a 
you know, massive um, brainstorm and, and infrastructure has dropped out or they've you know, recently had a volcano. So their infrastructure may have dropped out during that time uh, or they've had you know, technical issues. And when you're relying on someone to help you with delivery, that can become quite problematic because you don't necessarily know whether to wait for the person to come back or whether you suddenly have to take on that work yourself. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. That I can see how that would be a, a big, you know, a big consideration to keep communication styles in line with uh, different team members. And that, I mean, especially if you have uh, several people that you're depending on to deliver some work and they have different types of communication styles, I, I would imagine that that would uh, drive me a little crazy, honestly, like that's a consideration looking forward, you know, if I was to get a VA to make sure that I vet the communication preferences and, and make sure that like, you know, the level of transparency expected or, or being proactive about communication, that those expectations were stated up front. Um, I kind of take it for granted, I guess, um, that I have certain communication preferences. So it's just interesting to hear you talk about all those different things like a, you know, a volcano potentially going off or a tsunami because I, I live in the, the middle of the U.S. landlocked and we don't have any volcanoes or anything. So it's just kind of, yeah. you should do lose sight of the fact that uh, those things happen some places. So that's interesting. Definitely. Yeah. Earthquakes as well is another big one. But um, what, what I found is that certainly people have different, levels of infrastructure and so if someone is needed to be on your team in a permanent capacity then there's a benefit in using an agency rather than having someone work from home just because in an agency they they will um, have set hours and they come into the office they have all the infrastructure there they've got a good internet connection they've got dual monitors and you know reasonable computer and all of that they're not using their own infrastructure so that, uh, that's why I ended up going with that model. Um, when it comes to going with an agency, though, it does cost more. So it costs more per hour because they are paying for that infrastructure. They also pay for the recruitment process. So most recently when I decided to roll my four Google Ads people into one, I, I went to the agency and I told them what I was looking for in a person. And so they did the process of recruitment they found candidates. I created a, a test because I'd been, I guess, burnt a little bit in the past with um, people that didn't have the, the quality that I wanted. So, and I didn't want to be relying on people using procedures 100% of the time. I wanted them to have the expertise. So I created a test that they had to follow. That was actually, I'm really glad that I did that. Because what I found was the majority of candidates could not answer my questions appropriately. So often when you have, when you have places that are lower hourly rates and there's a large population, they're working, you know, basically lower, lower priced labor, there tends to be a lot of people looking for work. So it's very easy for uh, people that don't have the right level of detail orientation to end up on your team if you just take the first person that comes along. It's important to have detail orientation when you're delivering any kind of work that requires quality control because, um, you know, obviously you don't want to be having mistakes 
get put into client work, especially if you are the face of, of your freelance business and then you've got these people doing the delivery on your behalf, that would be very embarrassing. So uh, what I found was that when I created this test and sent it off to the recruitment agencies, they, they would shortlist candidates. But then when I read through the answers, I was thinking there is no way that I would want to bring this person on. They don't really understand how this field works. Uh, whereas the people that I did end up bringing on, uh, I ended up, my, my most recent VA that I've recently brought on full-time, she actually worked in Google. And so she had a really good understanding and I could tell straight away from the answers into the questionnaire that she knew exactly what she was talking about. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point with the test. I think um, I'm sure it also helps them decide wh what you're really looking for, even going through that process. Yeah. That's right. And so because the recruitment agency were handling all of that, they also handle things like, uh, so in the Philippines, they have this 13 month, 13th month bonus. And I'd never heard of that before because we don't have that here in Australia. But they basically, a portion of their, so uh, one twelfth of each month's salary gets put aside and then it gets given to them as a bonus at Christmas time so that then at Christmas they can enjoy a big party, I guess, with the family. So they have that as part of their payment schedules in the Philippines. And when you go with a agency, they just handle all of that. Whereas when you have uh, hourly freelancers that are working from home, they are handling that themselves, which that's not necessarily a problem. I, to be honest, I haven't had it come up, but the, the fact that when they work through the agency, they do get that bonus means that they, for them, it's, uh, they're, they're fitting in better with their peers, I guess, rather than when they're trying to handle all their own finances. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I've actually found that to be, to be a good model using the agency, even though it is more expensive, it's just more consistent. How much, how much more expensive is it? Is it like 50% more or? Uh, 25% more. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, so at the moment, my, my VA who is full time, she is, uh, 3,125 Australian dollars a month. And then that includes about a thousand dollars of that is the agency fee. So it ends up coming yeah. to about uh, 18 Australian dollars an hour or so, I think. Although um, when they go through an agency, they actually have public holidays and they have some, they're, they're allowed some time off. So it doesn't quite work out in the same way as a freelancer. So when you're paying a freelancer from Upwork, you're literally just paying them an hourly rate and you don't need to worry about leave or any of those things. They just handle all of that themselves in the same way that, that we're freelancers. But um, the, 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 the difficulty with hiring freelancers, as I mentioned before, is that then they don't have that mentality of turning up to work every day. And so it's more likely that you'll have gaps in delivery because they're also trying to work concurrently on projects. Yeah. Yeah, that's not uh, ideal. I mean, I think if you have the business for someone full time, then that's probably the better way to go. Yeah. So what I found, so in my case, I haven't got full time number of hours necessarily, but because, um, so I, I, I try to peg my own hourly rate as not that I'm paying myself hourly, but I, I try and think in terms of well, what would my hourly rate be? And then, um, what, 
this person's hourly rate is and if they're if, as long as I have enough work that they're covering the percentage of the allocation of the revenue that I've allocated in my budget for virtual assistants, then it's okay. And I will get the person when they're not working on billable work, I'll get them to help me with, um, with internal tasks like marketing. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I've found as well that, uh, Hiring people that are more experienced is, it's really good if you're trying to um, de develop the business into new fields because you can actually brainstorm with them about best practices. Um, especially if you do find someone that's quite a bit more experienced, it's, it's an alternative to doing a course really. I mean, some people will, will pay a lot of money to do courses. You can actually hire um, virtual assistants to help you work out what your own best practices are going to be. And that's, that's can be really helpful. Yeah. I could see that potentially being a huge time savings because I mean, that's just going through my own processes and procedures and even trying to take the time to go through it as I, as I do something, it slows me down considerably having to worry about all that stuff. So having somebody with a fresh perspective come in and actually take a look at that process for you and, and document it, I, I could imagine that that would save a ton of time. Definitely. Hey folks, this is Charles Maxwood and I just launched my book, The Max Coder's Guide to Finding Your Dream Developer Job. It's up on Amazon. We self-published it. I would love your support. If you want to go check it out, you can find it there. The Max Coder's Guide to Finding Your Dream Developer Job. Have a good one. Max out. What I found actually is I, um, bringing on a short-term person from Upwork can be more helpful for that sometimes because when you bring on a like a full-time resource, especially, and this is uh, the, the country that you bring someone on from will have an influence on this as well because different countries have quite different cultures. Uh, it, certainly in the Philippines, they're less inclined to argue with you than um, if you're hiring someone from Europe. Um, in Europe, it's, it's certainly not seen as, uh, in, there's, there's nothing really wrong with healthy debate, whereas in the Philippines, they, they can you know, be concerned that maybe they've offended you or you know, they want to keep that social peace a lot more. So, um, so sometimes if you want someone to actually review your processes, it's better to bring on a short term project person to do that. But what I found is that, um, if I, as long as I have someone with enough experience in that skill, then what we can do is have discussions around what the best practice is, and then we can write it down later. I wouldn't necessarily expect them to, uh, read a process that I've written and then come back to me and, and tell me where, where they think I've got it wrong. All right. Well, that, that makes sense to me. Is there anything else you want to talk about regarding VAs or? Yeah, actually, I've just, I was just going through my notes. Um, there's, there is one other major point actually that I'm just looking at and time zone. We haven't talked about time zones was, at all. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good, um, <laughs> I was thinking about that before and it slipped my mind. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So how, times, how do you work around that? Yeah. Time zones are really tricky. So what I found was here in Australia, uh, Philippines is only a couple of hours different from my time zone. So, um, so the Philippines are a natural fit in that regard, but 
as a developer, I actually like working with people in Ukraine and Russia because of that technical background. So I've actually had um, people on my team for a while that are in, in Ukraine and that actually can be really tricky because they are, now it, it's probably very different when you're in US or, or, some, or based somewhere else, but here in Australia, they're in a very different time zone from me. I don't know, you know how, how it fits in with US. But um, what I found was that I would be logging in, uh, you know, in, in the morning and I would be finishing up in the evening. That, that's my family time in the evening. And they would literally be logging in to start work in the evening. And it became really disruptive to my family life because we'd be sitting there eating dinner and all of a sudden my Slack's beeping going um, and people are asking me questions or my monday.com uh, tasks are all of a sudden getting questions in them and then I would have to go back to work after I put the kids to bed just to answer everybody's questions and that became quite disruptive to uh, you know my bedtime routine sometimes they'd be asking me questions at 11 o'clock at night Uh, it it certainly made me feel like my business was always on and that I couldn't ever have a break so when you're needing to have good responsiveness it is good to have someone in a nearby time zone so that you can uh, rely on them being there within you know, a number of hours of you asking them a question, especially if you've got urgent tasks. Um, because if they're in a different time zone, you're going to be setting tasks for them and then they're going to be asking you questions about those tasks outside of your usual um, working time. So then there's a, a day there in terms of a, a, a lag. So then you need to respond to their questions and then there's a, a, a day where there's a lag for them and then they can start to do the work. And now if it turns out there's multiple levels of questions required, then all of a sudden a task which should have been relatively simple that should have been completed on the Monday isn't being completed until Friday because you've had to and communicate back and forth, back and forth over different time zones. That can be really inefficient. So there's definitely, definitely value in making sure that you are comfortable with the time zone the person is in if they're going to be doing regular delivery work for you. It's, it's not such a big deal if they're updating your website or um, you know, posting social media onto an automation tool or something like that. But if if it's for client delivery and you have deadlines, then it's important to work out which time zone they're going to be in. Yeah, I think that's a good point. I've worked with uh, developers in India and the time zone from here uh, to India is, is exactly like that. They're starting their day while I'm going to sleep. And I was like working two jobs, you know, like I had a night shift uh, for an hour or two while answering questions and things like that. Definitely. And that can be, that can be really hard because you don't get a mental break from work. Exactly. If you're going back to work after the evening. Yeah, put the kids to bed, which is a stressful time anyways. <laughs> I know because you've got kids. And so I'll have someone try and book a meeting with me at nine o'clock at night. Now, I don't know what your kids are like, but mine will be popping out at nine o'clock at night saying, I'm hungry. Oh, yeah. All the procrastinations will start to come out after they've gone to bed. And I can't guarantee that they will be asleep at any particular time. And then, um, you know, then there's a point where I want to wind down 
you know, I want to have some, some hobbies or, or things that I can do myself that are not just work related. I don't want to be spending that time then, um, you know, working with my team. So, uh, it, but it does depend on the types of tasks that you're having them do. If they're doing internal tasks that don't have specific deadlines, it's not such a big deal, but if you're having client delivery, then it's really important that you can communicate in a more responsive way. Yeah. That's one thing that I think about a lot. And I, I just think it's interesting that we bring that up. The, the, it doesn't matter if you're doing like remote work or time zones or anything, but you know, teams naturally get into a certain cadence anyway. But, you know, when that cadence starts to drag out, like you were describing or bleed into other areas, then I, I could imagine that that would be very disruptive, especially because that's like, that's one of my goals is, is as a freelancer to have, you know, better control over my uh, work life uh, balance or integration, whatever you want to call it. Um, but just integrating those two pieces of my life, I want more control over that. And I, I want to make sure that, you know, I, I do get to live the life that I want in addition to do the work that I want. Right. And, uh, so it's interesting to hear, you know, the challenges and trying to get that cadence lined up and, and, uh, that's a big consideration, but I'm just, I'm amazed that, um, you know, it seems like you've got this kind of agency model, like a very flexible agency model set up using, uh, you know, various virtual assistants to outsource those positions. And, you know, that's just, um, that's really interesting. I mean, I, I've heard different examples, none quite the same as this, uh, but, you know, of scaling your business that way. And that just seems like a, something that is just amazing to me to hear your story of how to attain that. And, you know, some of the different considerations for that. Uh, it's definitely got me thinking about different uh, processes, procedures, or way to scale my business in the future. So, yeah, I'd say definitely. Cool. It, it is an agency type model. Um, I still see it as a freelance business though, because as opposed to an agency where you have multiple people working that are client facing who are the, you know, the, with an agency, you might still have someone, a CEO who's being the face of the business, but the, the people that are delivering are, account managing the clients they're working with the clients in this case I'm very much the face of the business and the only point of contact that the clients have so they don't necessarily know that I've got people behind the scenes helping me with the work what it does do is it lets me work on client projects concurrently so it takes a lot of the stress out of it for me I can I don't have to say no to work if it's within my realms because, uh, you know, if I have three people in a week, all say if we want to track conversions in Google Tag Manager, I can say yes to all of them. I don't have to worry about the fact that, you know, I might be over capacity this week because I know that we can, we can fit them in with this kind of team model. Um, but the, there certainly has been, but I, I actually will definitely continue to use this model as a freelancer because the the benefits have outweighed the negatives but it, it's definitely been challenging and it's not an easy thing that I would expect many freelancers to just be able to 
to do straight off the bat because I guess I had a certain amount of naivety in terms of how easy it would be, but it didn't quite pan out like that because all of a sudden now you, you have to worry about more than just what you're doing. You're now worrying about what other people are doing. And that takes up a lot of time, mental energy, et cetera. Sometimes I just think, well, if I was doing this task myself, I, I would have done it so much faster. And you can, you can wonder whether it would be worthwhile just going back to a simpler structure. And I do, I do wonder that often. So sometimes I will, I will, do the, I will deliver the work myself to, to test out whether that's something that I want to do. I, um, I don't like to just assume that it's going to be set in stone. But then when I do that, I do quickly realize that my week becomes um, bogged down with delivery work again. And I start to wonder how the business development's going to work out if I'm spending all my time on delivery. So having the team there does does enable the satisfaction of knowing that those tasks are being done irrespective of how much time I've got. That makes sense. Actually, I've just got one more tip that I've noticed in my notes and that's basically, we, we might've covered this already, but if you do have multiple different areas in your business, which most businesses would, I would, my preference uh, after my experience is to have them separated by role. So you wouldn't necessarily have the same person do the same things. I think it's better to have someone who's only working five hours a week, but doing the same kind of tasks all the time, rather than having one person who's working really long hours, who's trying to do too broad a range of activities. So I've got um, a different person for admin compared to delivery. Uh, I've got a different person who's helping with social media. When, when it comes to more specialised skills, I just get that one person on board. I don't, I don't try and train like a full-time person to do all the things. What, what I found when, when I did try to have, say initially when I first started out with VAs, I just had one full-time VA. And that didn't work out as well in that regard because they just didn't have certain skill sets and trying to get someone who, and any other thing is that they might not be in it for their full career. They might just be looking for a casual job. So if you hire someone who's at uni or they're, um, you know, they're just getting started in their career and then you're trying to teach them how to do all of these things, it might be that they're interested in some of those things and not interested in others. And then the quality falls off in the areas where they're not interested. So uh, certainly if you have different aspects to the business, it makes sense to get a specialist in each area. I think it's better to have 10 part-timers that are all really enthusiastic about what they're doing rather than one person who's just plotting through everything. Do you have uh, issues with turnover? Like after you train someone, then they take a different position? Has that happened to you a lot or not yeah, really? Yeah, uh, definitely. I have had troubles with turnover. Um, this has actually been one of my frustrations. So what I found was, uh, so when I first started, it was, I was using an agency and the person who had been assigned to me was studying and didn't really have any experience. So the very first person just wasn't suitable in terms of quality. So I ended up having to let that person go. And then the second person was um, much, much higher quality, but the 
they we ran into that issue that we just discussed where basically I was trying to have one person do all the things and they just didn't have certain skills in certain areas. I, I decided to move away from the agency model at the time because I was really establishing the business. Then um, what I found was when I'm, so I started bringing people on from Upwork. Then what I found is there's quite a bit of turnover there because uh, because it's on a, per project basis, you will have a wide variety of quality when it comes to people that are you know, pitching services on Upwork. So yeah. what I ended up doing was I, I said, right, well, I need to find someone that can help me with the delivery of Google Tag Manager. So I ended up contacting uh, six different people who all said that they were Google Tag Manager programmers and I'd give them a little bit like a few tasks from a project and see how they went. And what I found was some of them were really good and some of them were really bad. So obviously the ones that were really bad, I didn't keep on my team, but I did have this one, this one person who I, I still remember, I kind of laugh about it because he, he, I think he thought he was God's gift to Google, Google Tag Manager because he, his, his code was so complicated and bloated and very, you know, when you, you, as a, as a developer, I, I like to write in a very simple way, but there's always the, yeah. the odd person out there that just likes to obfuscate everything. And I, I, I could barely read his code at all. And I, I said to him, look, um, this isn't the way that I want to be running the business. I want to make sure that our code is clear and that anybody can maintain it. Um, he, he really got his back up because he said, my code is the best nobody's code is better than mine and it's wow. my way or the highway. So I said, all right, no problems. Don't bother turning up tomorrow. So I have had to let people go. Um, what I found was when I tested several people like that, I ended up just settling on the best ones. Uh, and then certainly with that Upwork model, you, know, you, you don't necessarily know what you're getting. So there, there've been times when I've had to let someone go, like, like we discussed. Um, the other thing is where I was, as a freelancer, most freelancers are bootstrapping and we don't necessarily have the cash flow, like the consistent cash flow to keep someone all the time. So when you're working with someone on a project by project basis, sometimes you'll have enough cash in the bank to bring someone on for a short while. And then you have to say to them, look, um, I'm just shelving this internal project for a bit because of cash flow. We're going to revisit it in six months time. So sometimes you end up with um, people that you're not working with all the time. Uh, however, if you've looked after them well, then what I found is that six months later, you can turn, turn around and, and pick them up again and say, hey, do you remember that project we were doing six months ago? I'm ready to get started again. And you know, if you've looked after them well, then you can bring that same person on and you've already developed a relationship with them. Right, right. Um, but yeah, no, it, it can definitely be a, a, a trouble because so most recently I, I've, I had the four uh, Google ads specialists that were working under me and they were all doing five to 10 hours a week each. And then I replaced them with one full-time person and I, I trained up that full-time person. And then after two months, she resigned. And when I asked why, she said that Basically, she decided she wanted to have children and she was going to be a stay-at-home mum and she didn't want to work anymore and she wasn't going to be working for anybody. So it, that kind of thing can happen and you feel really bummed out when it happens because you've just invested all your time and, and money into a 
person and then you've got to start over again. So there's certainly no easy, you, you can't guarantee that any particular person is going to work out. Um, I, I know Charles described that the first one was only two months and then the next one lasted six years. And that's really fantastic. But you can't expect that any particular person will stay with you for six years. It, it's the same if you hired someone locally. You can't yeah. expect that they would necessarily stay for any length of time and there's always a gamble. Um, that I guess in, in a way the bigger difficulty with bringing on someone locally is you're paying so much per hour for somebody and you're paying a salary if you're bringing them on as a salaried employee. So the training costs and um, that, that just becomes even higher. Yes, if someone, yeah, that's right. And if someone decides they're going to leave, they're, they're not as motivated once they've decided they're going to leave. So there's going to be a certain amount of wastage because they're, they're not as excited anymore. So there's, there's always that it's, it's better to, what I find is it's better to treat your freelancing or your VA team really well, be very kind to them so that you don't have, not that I was never ever unkind to my team, but you don't want to be worrying that maybe you're offending them and they're just going to quit. It's better to just be kind to people, make sure that they enjoy working with you and you're not worrying about that turnover so much. If they're turning over because they don't have the skills or if they're turning over because of their own personal reasons, that's different from you feeling, having a chip on your shoulder, feeling like there's something that you're doing to, to cause people to leave. That, and, and also um, it is just wasteful having turnover. So we want to, we want to train someone up and then have them stay with us for as long as possible if they're the right members of the team. Yeah, it definitely right. makes sense to keep good people around. Yeah. What I found so. as well is um, you can do some, so I mentioned earlier that I had some assessments that I got people to do. I also invested in some personality tests. So there's one that uh, you can do for free online. It's called DISC. And have either of you guys used DISC before? No. So it's a personality test that tells you whether you your personality is mainly on um, dominance, compliance, uh, there's a, a influence and steadiness, I think it is. And basically it will give you an idea of, of your personality and then you can ask team member to do the same so you can find out what their personality is going to be. That helps you out if you are concerned about a personality clash. So in my case, my personality is split between dominance and compliance, which makes me quite good for, um, so the compliance is detail-orientated, task-focused, and dominance is uh, a task-focused but more um, like a management style as opposed to influence, which is more about being people-focused. Um, and so what I found was that I needed to make sure the people that came on my team were going to be, if they're going to be doing analytical work, they needed to be more task focused people. So I brought on, I asked them to do that uh, disc test and I brought on people that were also high in D and C, um, which, which is good when you have a small team, when you start looking at much larger businesses, obviously they need a variety of people. Um, there's also another test that I do, which I pay for. And um, it was about, I believe, $65 US. Uh, it's called Colby A. 
So there's, there's different Colby tests, but the one that I've been doing is Colby A. And what it does is it tells you how people like to complete their work. So it, um, the types of scales it gives you, I think they call them uh, co- uh, conances or uh, I can't remember the exact word, but um, the, it gives you words like uh, fact-finding. So fact-finding is someone who likes to do a lot of research. And then there's a scale of uh, follow-through, which shows how your detail orientation so if someone is very high in follow-through then it means they like to they're quite administrative they like to take care of details if they're very low in follow-through then they are big picture people but that don't really like to complete the work obviously when you're bringing on a VA to help you with delivery you want to make sure that they're going to have follow-through uh, there's another one it's called something like start quick start yeah quick start is a bit of a test of your entrepreneurialism. So what it does is it tells you how likely you are to get started on different projects. And um, so if you're very high in that, then it means that you're always coming up with new ideas and, and starting things. And then there's one for, I think it's like a spatial awareness in terms of um, are you very intellectually driven versus working more with physical objects. So I found that that test is really helpful because if I'm wanting to bring on people who are more intellectually focused um, and have high follow through and are good at researching, then I need to make sure that they are high in fact find um, the the scale that has the um, physical versus intellectual that's you want it to be low on that because low shows more intellectual and in the, the follow through, you want them to be high. So I've been um, paying for them to have that. And I've found that to be really helpful actually in making decisions to hire someone that's going to be on my team full time. I don't use that for short term project work just for the person that's going to be right, on full time. Right. Yeah. And, and actually the first VA that I, I ever brought on who I had to uh, get rid of her, that, that sounds bad, but I, I had to let her go because she just couldn't complete the work. Um, she had had that Colby test done. And when I looked at it more closely, she had low follow through and high quick start. So she just, um, she wasn't able to complete the tasks that I've given her. So I've watched out for that ever since then. Yeah. Starting a lot of projects and not finishing them. That's interesting. There's a lot of personality tests out there and finding a good fit would probably be really important. We're, we're butting up against time now, so we probably want to go ahead and start doing the picks. Since we're talking about like, you know, time leverage and hiring VAs and all that kind of stuff, one of the things that I did early on to kind of get some processes in place was use uh, Zapier.com. So I, uh, I would highly suggest that. They have a free plan, actually, where you can get like started and get a couple of what they call Zaps, which are just automations. They have like thousands of APIs available that you can pick from, but that has been really cool and getting some, uh, uh, you know, some of the administrative tasks off my plate that I used to spend time doing. And, uh, they, are, you know, the, the paid version is, is really awesome as well. And there are some premium apps, uh, uh, on there that you can pay for it to, to integrate, but I picked that one. And then, uh, all this talk about VAs and time leverage also got me thinking about this guy, Todd Tresseter who I heard on a different podcast. Um, and he had, he has a website, financialmentor.com. 
And he does a lot of financial stuff, but one of his more interesting books has to do with um, the leverage equation. Uh, the book's titled something like The Leverage Equation, which he talks about um, you know, using different resources to leverage time, money, and resources in your business. And it just seemed like uh, with the level of scalability we were talking about here, that that would be a, a good pick as well. So I wanted to throw that one out there. Cool. Awesome. I'll go ahead and, and share my pick. I recently got a, well, I had a very nice, uh, fancy smancy uh, mechanical keyboard that stopped working. The quotes key stopped working. So that kind of kills the whole thing for me. So I ran out to Best Buy and got a Logitech K480. And it's actually, it was like 20 something dollars, uh, but it's a really nice keyboard. Um, and I've, I've enjoyed it thoroughly. So that's that's my pick. Oh, it's good to have a good keyboard. I, I don't like keyboards that have um, really noisy, clicky keys. <laughs> it's good when you've got yeah. what you like. Um, yeah, so I had a couple of picks. I've already mentioned a couple of them. One was monday.com. I really like that for project management. The Colby A test and the test I had on, on my list. Um, one I haven't mentioned, it's a book called Virtual Freedom. It's a book about hiring VAs um, from the Philippines. And it's it's definitely a good read. It's it's more it's more helpful than some of the other books that I've read on VAs, I'd say. So I'm, I'm going to pick that one this week. Cool. Awesome. Well, I think that that is a wrap for us. Max had to drop out. So we'll, uh, we'll cut it here. Talk to you guys later. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more.